All right, Happy New Year. Are we all uh, sleepy? Well, you're about to be. No, hopefully not. Um, I've gotten a lot of comments on the scale. We had it out in the foyer this week as I was getting ready to bring it out here on the stage, and I've never seen people so afraid (laughs) and just hateful towards an inanimate object. I mean, it was as if it was a a live poisonous snake that people are like, what are you going to do with that? Um, And I mean, the thing is, we do hate the scale. I mean, for the most part, um, we just cannot stand the idea. I mean, anybody go to the doctor and you're like, the most hateful part, <laughs> you already know, right? You walk in, here, we're going to have you stand on the scale. I'm like, can I just skip that part? I mean, I don't really need, um, I thought about having a mirror up here too. Um, and then that would really be kind of weird, wouldn't it? We, when I was at the gym the other day, I don't know about if you go to the gym and, and you see this happen. I, I never used to see this. There was a guy in the mirror flexing and taking a picture of himself. <laughs> and I, maybe this has been happening all along. The thing is that guys usually, no, let me say it this way. All guys flex in front of the mirror at home. You're not supposed to do it in public. So, you know, when I go to the gym, I just avoid looking in the mirror at all. I don't want to see myself. I don't want to have that reality check. I don't want it. The, the scale is a, a reality check. The mirror is a reality check. And uh, it's interesting, like right now, we have um, this sense, I think, of, of real deep insecurity about ourselves. And I don't know if that's new. Maybe it's not new. Maybe it's been, you know, throughout all the ages, throughout all time. Social media, I think, has exaggerated it, that we are hyper-focused on the external. Would you agree with that? There's a lot of, of focus on how we look and uh, whether or not we're in style, whether or not we're, you know, attractive, whether or not people like us and they're, they're, they're looking at our posts and they're liking our posts and they're responding in their comments to everything that we're saying and doing. Um, and maybe it's not new. When I was a kid, um, I, I was a chubby kid. In fact, uh, do they still have husky jeans? They do? They should be outlawed. I mean, there's nothing worse than wearing husky jeans. It's like, can we just call it a something else? So I was the kid who always wore husky jeans, um, and, and I got made fun of, okay? So growing up, I wasn't really just chubby. I was kind of more borderline like the fat kid. And every time you turn around, somebody has a comment to make about that. You know, they, they're always hyper-focused on it. And as kids, I mean, this is, you understand, they're always going to pick something that's different. So if it's not your weight, it's going to be your, your hair color, it's going to be your, your, the clothes that you're wearing, or it's going to be, you know, uh, your facial features, or your height, your whatever. It's going to be something. 
we're focused on that. But what happens is that as kids, at least for me, that you know, type of, of focus and attention and making you feel bad and making you feel like you're not quite good enough, like you're not accepted, it carries along all through your life. Like you don't ever get rid of it. I, I mean, I've been, you know, thinner. Um, I've, I've been at, you know, at one point I was 160 pounds. Um, and for me, that was pretty thin. I'm, some of you, maybe that's like, that's still fat. I don't know. But for me, that was pretty, pretty thin. And I still had in the back of my mind that I'm, I need to lose weight. And you have this idea of, man, there's just, what can I do to be comfortable with myself? So there's this pendulum that swings between the things that I can do and the things that I can't do. There, there are things that I can do to affect how I look. And then there are some things that I can't control at all. Uh, I had absolutely zero control over the color of my skin, how tall I was going to be, whether or not I was going to have hair, um, how big my nose was going to get, any of those things. Like Those are just not things that I could control. Uh, there are some things that I can control. I can work out. I can eat right. I can you know, try to you know, dress better. I can you know, take more showers, whatever. I can do those things. We have the, this, this image thing, though, that we're always dealing with. And what it boils down to is that there's a spiritual principle that we're, we're wrestling with, okay? And, and on one side, it is the perfection of Jesus, that there is an ideal, that there is an absolute um, quality that God has determined is the right thing. And I think that in, in some of our minds and our hearts, we're like that. We know that there's an ideal that we're supposed to be striving for. And while we're in this world, there are, there are so many other things that I can't really control. And so I have to deal with where I'm going to live, spiritually speaking, in terms of whether or not I'm going to strive to be better, to become mature, to become more uh, spiritually grounded, where I'm going to be more spiritually mature, uh, or if I'm going to just give up and say, this is how I am, this is what I am, and, and I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Somewhere in the middle is this idea, I think, that we have to come to, which is that God has made you in his image for a reason, and he does want you to enjoy your life. And what I see looking around, and I see this in my own life, is that a lot of people are really blessed and really miserable. A lot of people are not enjoying their life. They're not enjoying their day. They're not enjoying their week. They're not enjoying their job. They're not enjoying their family. They're not enjoying who they are. They're not enjoying their, their faith. It's just a struggle to get through each day. And this idea that maybe at some point something will change and something will get better. Do you see that? No? <laughs> and I am resolved, okay, this year to do something that Scripture tells us to do, which is to serve the Lord with joy and gladness. To actually look at my life and say, this is a blessing. I'm content in the sense that I'm thankful for everything in my life that God has blessed me with, but I'm not going to... Um, rest. I want to 
see God do more. But it's, there's parts that I'm responsible for, and there's parts that he's responsible for, and I have to know the difference. Amen? I have to come to a conclusion on what can I do, and what does God have to do, and how do we make sure that we're living in this balance so that we can actually have joy in life? Because otherwise, we're just miserable, and we don't want to be miserable. Uh, we want to be the people that God made us to be. And so... Uh, We're going to read just one verse. Do you want to stand for one verse? Let's stand and let's read one verse. Revelation 21, verse 5. says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And Father, we thank you that you make us new. That uh, you don't give up on your creation. You don't give up on your people. You don't give up on, uh, on any of us. <laughs> you, you're patient with us. Your, your mercies are new every morning. Uh, you care for us deeply, specifically, intentionally, um, and you want what is best for us, Lord. And in the meantime, you, you want us to have joy in this life. You, you want us to actually enjoy what we're doing for you. And Father, we pray that uh, we would take some guidance from your word, that we would be transformed by your spirit, that we would have a a year ahead of us that we can actually look forward to, that we would glorify you in it, that you would be known more, that you would be proclaimed uh, better, and that uh, somehow, Lord, we would have a a sense of peace (laughs) about what it is that you're doing and, and what you're doing not only in the world but in us. And we'll give you all the glory. We thank you for making us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, in Revelation uh, 21.5, we've come to the end of uh, God's plan and purpose for uh, tribulation, for his creation, for his people, for the judgment. This is after the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, Satan's been judged. This is after the, the... uh, great white throne judgment. Uh, all the believers have been blessed. All the uh, non-believers have been cast out. And we're getting ready for a new creation, a new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, and all that. And so uh, God is saying, I'm, I'm making all things new. And now the, the point of me starting here is that uh, I wanted us to understand there's a principle in uh, God's nature, his character. And his principle is that he doesn't give up on his creation. He wants to restore it. He wants to renew it. He wants to uh, bring it back to a redeemed place. He doesn't just cast it aside. And a lot of times as believers, um, I don't know, I hear this sometimes, I feel it sometimes, and maybe this is a unique thing, maybe this is just a, a small segment of the Christian population, but because the world is so dark and things are, it seems like going off the rails at a record pace, it, it feels like I'm, I'm just fed up with the world, and I, I want to see it judged, and I'm ready for God to just take his people, let's get out of here, the rapture, let's just be done with this whole thing, and it's as if, as Christians, sometimes we're so like angry at the, the darkness around us that we forget that God is not done with it. 
He's not done with this world, that he cares for it and he's still working out his plan and he's still using you and me to save as many people as possible. And we can't give up. We can't be done. We can't abandon it. God's not abandoning his creation and we can't abandon it either. And so um, sometimes you feel like, and I've felt this way, like I, I would love to just kind of be a hermit in the mountains by myself without all the, the worldly sins and distractions and pressures and all that stuff. Anybody ever feel that way? And it's uh, partly it's okay because what that is, is God kind of showing you this is not your home. But partly there's a, I don't know, I don't want to say a toxic part of it, but it's, it's wrong in, in my heart, which is that I, I don't care as much about the world as God does. And I, I'm ready to, to be done with it. And he's not. And so he's going to recreate the world and he's going to use his people uh, to be involved in that process. There's, there, there is a lot of work to be done before this whole thing is wrapped up. Amen? I mean, we're not done yet. Uh, we got a lot of, of things to happen. Now, how God does it is he begins with a new covenant. Um, in uh, Hebrews 8, talks about it this way. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is a quote from Jeremiah, but it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the household uh, of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, what's going on here is that the question, why does there need to be a new covenant? You ever wonder that? Why, why is there a new covenant? Jesus said when he uh, celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples uh, that he was starting a new covenant. Behold, this is a new covenant in my blood. Uh, take and drink this cup, right? This is the cup of the new covenant. Why did there need to be a new covenant? And the reason wasn't because the old covenant was necessarily broken. It was because the old covenant depended on the people of Israel to uphold it. Okay? So the law was good, and the law was perfect, and the law was right, and the law was God's will. But the people were unable to fulfill it. They, they, they kept failing over and over and over, um, which was part of the, the whole point of the law, was to show us that we couldn't accomplish this. We couldn't achieve it in our own strength. And so what God does is he fulfills the covenant through Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he says, I didn't come to destroy or abolish the law. I came to what? I came to fulfill it. And so what he does in his perfect life is he fulfills Jerusalem or Israel's part of the covenant. In his perfect life, in his perfect obedience to the Father and living out the law completely under the law, but obediently to the law and to his father, he does what Israel could never do. He does in his body what he needs to happen in order to fulfill the law. So if it's fulfilled by his perfect life and then through his perfect sacrifice, then the old law is no longer in effect. Okay? So what that means is God has completed the old law. He fulfilled it in his son Jesus and then he provides a new way, because the law was a way to have a relationship with God. In order for people to have any kind of relationship with the Father, they had to obey the law. When they broke the law, they had sacrifices, so they could come back into a right relationship with God. God provides a new way, and so Hebrews 10 and verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place 
by the blood of Jesus. So God is saying, you have the ability to come into the presence of the Father, okay, to the throne of grace with confidence by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened us uh, for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. He provides a new covenant. And the new covenant is not like the old covenant. The old covenant depended on obedience to rules and regulations. The new covenant depends on faith in Jesus. So a new covenant means a new law, and the law is faith. kind of almost sounds counterintuitive, like that doesn't 100% make total sense to us. But the Bible says that you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, which means the old law has been fulfilled. The new way is that I have to trust Jesus. He did it all. He did everything according to the law. He did everything according to the sacrifice. And he rose from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And now what I have to do is I have to trust him. And so I enter into a relationship with God through the new covenant, which is by faith in Jesus. So we understand that Jesus said, uh, I am the way. I am the what? Truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's a new law. It's the only law. I come to a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So what happens is when I do that, see, this is where I think a lot of people get kind of, I don't know, messed up in their minds um, about the rules and regulations, what I have to do, what, what, what do I you know, need to do to, to be saved or be right with God? Faith in Jesus. It, it's really pretty clear and simple, but it's, it's also takes into account there's uh, something that God has to do in saving me, and then there's something that I have to do in order to be saved. God's going to come 99% of the way, and I have to come that 1% in faith. And faith is, I don't, I, maybe I don't have all the information that I want, but I have enough information to know that something's wrong, and here's what is offered. It's grace. And when I come into it by that simple step of saying yes to Jesus, then he's going to begin to do some new things in my life. Here's what he begins to do. Uh, Ezekiel uh, 36 says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put in you. This, the new spirit is the Holy Spirit. Okay, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. So what's going to happen is that, that old heart of stone, what's, what's the, the properties of stone? It is, number one, unliving. It doesn't live. There's, it's not organic in the sense that it has life, it doesn't have breath, it doesn't have anything living, it's not a living thing. So you had this old heart that was not living. Not living means that it was unresponsive and it was unyielding to God. When he gives you a heart of flesh, by changing this heart within you, something begins to happen, which is now by this act of faith, you become responsive to God. So for me, this is what happened. Uh, I grew up in the church. How many of you grew up in the church? A lot of people. Um, How many of you grew up in the church and didn't get saved until you were an adult? (laughs) Quite a few. So I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. Um, I went to church every Sunday. I went to youth group every Wednesday. I uh, went to Sunday school, the whole deal, okay? Uh, Christian home, parents were believers, all of it. Um, and yet, somehow, by the time I was 18 and ready to graduate high school, I still did not have a personal relationship with God. I had what James talks about. I believed, 
without faith or I believed and shuddered. I believed that God existed. I believed that Jesus was a son. I didn't doubt those things. I didn't reject those things. I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't an atheist. I just hadn't come to a point where I yielded in faith into a relationship with God till I was in college. In college, I saw something that I, I hadn't seen before, or at least I hadn't recognized before. Christian students my age who are authentically living for Christ. And they weren't preaching to me. They weren't, we weren't sitting around doing Bible studies. All they did was live their life out um, in front of me in a way that I could see it and know that I was missing what they had. And something changed. Something clicked in my mind. Something changed in my heart. I just... I recognized that, that I did not know Christ, and I wanted to, and so I accepted Christ. And I can't tell you the, the pinpoint moment that that happened. I just know that there, within a few weeks of coming into this experience that I was different, that that belief had somehow transitioned to faith, and I had accepted Christ, and now my heart is yielded to God. So the first thing that happened was, that the yielding um, in the Holy Spirit's work in my life began to reveal sin. So you become responsive to God's standard in the fact that you're not achieving it. And for me, I struggled with a lot of different sins, but the first sin that God slapped me in the face with um, was foul language. I, um, I... I don't know. I was arrogant, I guess, or I, I thought it was cool, but I used foul language, and I actually used it in some ways like a weapon. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I uh, I had these Christian friends, one of them in particular. I remember we were talking, and I don't know what we were talking about or what we were doing, but I I said F you to him. And then I acted, and maybe this is what gaslighting is. I've never quite figured out gaslighting. But I'm like, does that offend you? Like, I just said something offensive, and then I'm like accusing him of being offended as if that, that's his problem. That's gaslighting, right? Anyway, I, I've, I'm still trying to figure that out. But anyway, that's what I did. And I'm telling you that I was so ashamed, because this is after I had come to faith in Christ. I was so ashamed of myself. I, I began to pray that night um, and just say, God, I'm sorry for that. And I wasn't just sorry for that. I said, God, I'm never going to say the F word again. And I've just kind of, I don't know, sacrificed or committed or consecrated or whatever you want to say that to the Lord. And this is just my experience. But for me, what happened was when I came to God, you know, halfway, he met me the rest of the way. And he took foul language out of my mouth. Like, I, I never struggled again with it. In fact, even when I, in the past, have tried to, like, quote somebody saying something where a bad word is, is involved in the sentence, I can't say it. Like, I physically can't bring myself to say it. And it's not because I'm just a prude. I mean, I just, it's like, I can't do it. The Holy Spirit just met me there. And here's what happens is that when you begin to yield to, to the Lord and you commit some things to him and he begins to meet with you, he's going to validate and confirm your faith. And so if I could just encourage you, if there's something that 
is preventing you from just making that step, when, once you make it, even if it's just, like I said, 1%, just you commit one little thing to the Lord, I'm telling you, when you do that, and especially when you do it for the first time, I believe God's going to come and he's going to meet you there and he's going to show you his power. You, you, your heart being receptive to God is going to produce some fruit of the Holy Spirit right away. So I was receptive to God um, in that sense. And, I, and then throughout the, the years, you know, in college, um, I just began to lay down more and more obvious sin. What you and I would say that's so obvious that those things are wrong. How did you not get it? How did you not know that? Um, it took me a while to figure that out. Um, I had to study. I had to let people um, convict me through through accountability. I had to work it out in my own mind, you know, work it out in prayer. Um, but I was receptive to understanding that that I had sin that I had to just repent of and get rid of and stop being involved in, big things. Finally, you know, a few years later, uh, I began to be more receptive to uh, the positive side. So uh, the first thing that the, the heart of flesh does is receptive to um, sin, receptive to God's word about sin. But the next thing is that um, you're receptive to God's positive leading to serving. What does God want for my life? And for me, when I was a senior in college, um, I had been going to a Christian college, um, and it wasn't because I thought I was going to be pastor. It was because I just wanted to know God more. I wanted to learn the Bible. And so I went to this Christian college. I figured I can get a bachelor's degree, and then I can go do something and, uh, and be, um, be whatever you know, God wanted me to be. I didn't know what that was. Um, but by the, the time I was a, a second year senior, um, my, my fifth year of college, uh, I came to the belief and understanding that God was calling me into ministry. And that was just the receptivity of how God was leading me in that moment. And here's what I believe is that when your heart is receptive to the Lord, he's not just going to beat you up over sin that you need to get rid of and things that you're doing wrong. I mean, I think that that should be about 10% of what you're hearing from the Lord, okay? Because once, you're, once you deal with it, you should be done with it. I, I'm sorry for that, and I'm walking towards the Lord, and I'm not walking towards that sin anymore. And yeah, there are things that I have to wrestle through over and over and over, but I shouldn't be spending 90% of my time dealing with sin. That should be like 10% of my time is dealing with that. 90% of the time is, God, what do you want? Where are you leading me? How, how do you want me to live my life? How do you want me to, to influence people, impact people, be a, a father and a husband? How do you want me to be a worker? How do you want me to, to be in public? How do you want me to live my life? Like, the positive leading of the Holy Spirit in your life should be 90% of what you're focusing your time and energy on. And you become receptive to that. And the Holy Spirit begins to, to direct you into different relationships, different paths, different places, different environments, different people that you need to be talking to. And, and you have things that begin to weigh on your heart, right? There's, there are things that, that God's speaking to your heart about. And you feel that he, like he's really kind of communicating with you. You can't put words to it. But there's a sense and there's a feeling about it. And then here's what's got to happen. When you start to feel like the Holy Spirit is, is moving, you have to do something. 
You have to step into that and be obedient. And what happens is when you're obedient is that God begins to confirm that path. I'm going to step into this role. I'm going to step into this responsibility. He's calling me to do this thing. He's calling me to speak to that person. He's calling me to give this thing, whatever it is. There are things that God has to do in leading your heart, and then there are things that you have to do to get engaged in it. And if you don't do your part, this is the scary thing, and I almost hesitate to say it, but I think it's true. If you don't do your part, what that is 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 stifling and frustrating and grieving the Holy Spirit, and he begins to stop talking to you about stuff. You ever feel that way? Like, man, God used to speak to me, and I used to feel led by the Spirit, and I used to feel like God was kind of you know, calling me and doing this and that. What happened? And probably what has happened for some people is that they just waited for God to do 100%, and God kept waiting for you to do something. And he's like, why do I keep talking to you about the same thing over and over, and you don't never do anything with it? So here's what I would counsel you to do. Go back to the last thing that God told you to do. And you probably have it in the back of your mind. That last thing that, that he was speaking to your heart about that you didn't do. And go back and do it. And what you're probably going to find, I can almost guarantee it, is that if you apply obedience to that last thing that God called you to do, you're going to start seeing that door open up. And that you're going to start feeling led, feeling closeness, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and He's going to begin speaking to you about other things. Now, part of how this works is that the new heart um, is one side of it, and then there's a new mind, okay? So Romans talks about this in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I'm distinguishing between the heart, which is more the relationship or the feeling, and the mind, which is more the knowledge and the understanding, I think those two things are not exactly the same. Okay, so you begin to have a receptivity to the Lord, and then in your mind you begin to learn what His will is. How do you learn what God's will is? Some of you know that He wrote a book. When I was uh, growing up, I got baptized when I was 12 for the first time. Um, didn't know what I was really getting into. I, I, I did it because everybody said I was supposed to do it. That was the age in our church when people got baptized, and it's like, oh, you're 12 now, you're supposed to do this. And So, okay, I went forward, and, and uh, I went through the process and got baptized and all that. They gave me a Bible when I was 12. Uh, I took it with me to Sunday school, youth group, you know, I colored all over it, uh, drew on it, you know, but I didn't open it up and read it. Uh, it's, it was in my possession for six years, uh, and I didn't really read it. Finally, when I went to college and I got saved, I got another Bible, and I was reading it all the time. And I don't know where exactly this change in my mind came. It was just, I was interested in what God had to say. 
And I began reading it, and I would read it like, constantly. I took it with me to work, and I would read it on breaks, and, and I would get to uh, Romans. And I started reading Romans and Paul's letters and, and on, and I was amazed that God had actually put practical um, application of how to live the Christian life in the Bible. I didn't know it. You know, growing up, I had, I had uh, known the stories about Daniel and David and, and Samson and all the cool stuff, you know, Noah and, and some of the things that Jesus did. And, I, you know, I could probably make my way through uh, any kind of a Sunday school class and have some answers, but I didn't know really the detail of what God had, had revealed in his book until I began reading it for myself. And from then until now, my intention has been always just to be more familiar with everything that God has said in the Bible. So every week I encourage the church, I encourage everyone to read the scriptures. And it's not a legalism and it's not a beat you over the head trying to make you feel guilty. What it is is that if you want to think God's thoughts, then you have to hear from God what he said. And what I know is that this little thing that we do and we call preaching is not enough. This is not enough scripture to help you to really think the way God thinks. It can get you on a path. It can maybe straighten out, you know, one or two thoughts or ideas. But in order for your mind to be influenced and shaped by God's opinions, you have to get his word into your own mind. And if you need to listen to it, and it may be reading is difficult for you, or you need to find a version that, you know, suits you or whatever, um, whatever it takes, getting some time, 15, 20 minutes a day where you're just taking that scripture in, and maybe you don't understand everything that you're reading, and maybe it's kind of difficult, and there are points where you're kind of like, I'm lost in the words, or I'm lost in the genealogies, or whatever. Okay, there are difficult parts of scripture, but all of it together is what God has revealed about what he thinks, and he wants to share that with you, and he wants to help you to think the way that he thinks. And so being renewed, um, transformed by the renewing of your mind is this issue of not so much the moral things, that's the hard issue, it's more the truth issues. What is, what is God's opinion about stuff? What does he think about stuff? Do you ever think about that? And what happens as you get more mature, I think, is that you begin to be able to distinguish your opinions and God's opinions, and to give up some of the things that you thought you knew about stuff and agree with God. Paul talks about it this way. He says, I don't care about people's judgment. I like Paul. Um, but the issue with Paul saying, I don't care about what people think, I don't care about their judgment, it's not just that he's dismissive of people. He says, I don't even judge myself. God will judge me. And what he means, I believe, is that at some point along the way, Paul realized that the only opinion that ultimately matters is God's opinion. And my job, as I become a new creature in Christ, 
is to agree with his opinion and to actually share that opinion and to hold his opinion. And every question, every issue, every thing that comes along in our lives, it can always be brought back to, well, what does God think about that? Well, what has he said about it? The Bible probably, almost certainly, has something to say about everything. Whether directly or indirectly, it's going to help us to have what we call a biblical worldview. And how we get that? We, We let the word of God seep in to our minds, our hearts, and we allow ourselves enough humility to say, what I think about stuff is really not as important as what God thinks about stuff. And so my mind changes. And then ultimately what we have with a new covenant leading us into a new heart, a new mind, is essentially a new life. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when you come to all these things and you see them working out in your life, what you end up with is not just compartmentalization of, well, I think a little bit differently here or I'm kind of feeling a little differently there. I'm going to spend my time. You have a whole new life. When, when you have a replacement for your heart and your mind, are you the same person? <laughs> what else is there? I mean, you have a body, but even that's going to be glorified and changed and transformed into something different. Aren't you glad? Then we won't have to worry about the scale anymore. Here's the thing that the angel said to uh, Peter and John. Uh, They had healed a a beggar in the temple, and um, they had gotten in trouble for that. They were put in prison. An angel came, and he says, you need to go talk to people about this new life. And he set them free. And then they went directly back into the temple, began talking to people about this new life in Christ, and they got in trouble again. And here's what is going to happen. You and I are going to uh, love people, but we're going to live a different life, and we're going to say things that the world's not necessarily going to love. But it's the most important thing that exists in this world. And sometimes we're going to get ourselves a little bit in trouble for it. Sometimes we're going to see people change because of it. Sometimes we're going to feel like we're imposters in the midst of it. But this is what we're here for. Not only to have eternal life, but to give eternal life to everyone who will listen. That's why we're here. I have a new life in Christ. I need to tell people about it. Amen? And Father, we thank you for this new life. We thank you that you provided it through your son. We thank you that uh, we can share it. We can transfer it somehow to other people. And we're not going to do it perfectly. I can't even express how often I feel like I'm failing. And yet, I'm so overjoyed with the knowledge and understanding that um, you're able and you're willing to use us, me, anyone, to glorify yourself. 
somehow, no matter who we are, a, a transformed life is such a powerful thing. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would never be ashamed of it. Help us to live it. Help us to display it. Help us to um, be somehow, in a godly way, proud of it for your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would rescue more, more and more until your your kingdom is overflowing. God, we just we pray that you would do a work not only in us, but through us for your glory. And we thank you that you're able, that you're willing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to encourage you, um, for those who know Christ, that uh, there is joy and gladness that you can have in serving Him, and that you would make that your resolution this year, that whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do for the utmost, for God's glory, and I'm, I'm going to have a good time doing it. <laughs> Amen? For those who perhaps, and I say perhaps, but who are hearing for the first time, really hearing with their spiritual ears that there's a difference between belief and faith, and you want that. Can I encourage you um, that this is the day of salvation? This is the moment. This is the time. This is the opportunity that God has revealed what He needs to reveal to you, and it's your responsibility at this moment to take that step and say yes to Him. And if that's you this morning, I'd love to meet you at the altar. I'd love to celebrate that decision. Amen? Let's stand and sing.